Bible says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them together. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Turn over to Matthew 18 with me, and look at the third verse of the chapter. Matthew 18. And verse number 3. All right, everybody there? Look at the third verse. See, still see a couple people turning. Make sure everyone gets a chance. All right, very good. The third verse, ready? Read it together. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're looking at our theme, The Commands of Christ. Our series right now is entitled, Coming to God. In the morning, we're talking about salvation. And in the evening, we're looking at the process of sanctification. And with it being Youth Emphasis Sunday today, let's look at the command of Christ to come as a child. Come as a child. To, be, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, you must become like one of these little ones. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to understand the Word of God today, not only with our ears and our mind, but also may the Word of God make sense in our heart. Lord God, stir us even further than we've already been stirred through the, the musical presentation by the children, the display of Bible knowledge by the children. May Your Word, Lord God, settle into our heart and lead us. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that has not found salvation through Christ alone, may today be the day they become like a child and receive salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Some years ago, I took Matthew to Fenway Park in Boston. Let me say that again. Some years ago, I took Matthew to Fenway Park in Boston. Uh, Pock the Caw and the Yod, right? Uh, Park, Fenway Park up in Boston. And uh, we went and watched the Baltimore Orioles put a whooping on the Boston Red Sox. Any Red Sox fans here today willing to admit that? Uh, I saw one hand. All right. There's more Red Sox fans in here. You guys had a terrible season, so you just don't want to admit it. But um, uh, the Orioles put a whooping uh, on the, on the uh, Red Sox. Matthew was probably seven or eight years old at the time, and he was just, eyes were just big. He was excited. We got there early. We went up with Ernie Simon and his daughter and uh, Lauren, and we had a great time together. And uh, we got there early, and so we found our seats, then we made our way over to the uh, the visiting team dugout, where the Orioles players were huddled, and uh, Matthew brought a baseball with him. So this seven, eight-year-old boy, eyes wide open, excited to see if he can't get a signature on his baseball. And sure enough, I think he got three or four signatures that day. He still has that baseball sitting on his dresser, and that's a valued uh, prize to his. But I was, I was just amazed to stand there and watch, uh, huddled around both dugouts, how many parents there were that had their children there hoping to just get a moment of a star athlete's attention. Just a moment of that attention. 
Uh, rock concerts. Rock concerts are filled with teenagers and sadly even some adults who go and swoon over the latest music star. Oh, I have to see uh, such and such. And I can't, I, I, you know, I, they take their scarf off and they throw it in the crowd. and It hits a, a teenage girl. Ah, you know, and they, uh, they, uh, they, they reach out and they touch a rock star. And, oh, I'm not going to wash this hand ever again. And they're just so excited. Um, is, is her name Taylor Swift? Is that her name? I'm not a fan. But anyway, um, Taylor Swift, someone told me recently, and, and I'm making a larger point here, stay with me, that for her to get into her concerts, they have to put her in a box, transport her in there with armed security for her own safety. Folks, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's how crazy people are to get uh, in the presence of someone who's famous. Now, imagine with me, that Jesus was going to be coming to your town. And you knew that there was a chance that your child or children could get near Him. Now look, I was excited to get a signature on a baseball for my son from some sinful, probably godless athlete. How much more exciting would it be to get your child near the Creator of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords? And uh, no doubt parents were excited over that possibility. Imagine the possibility of having Jesus lay His hands on the head of your child and bless them and pray over them. How exciting, boy, that would be. Those of us who believe Jesus to be the Savior of the world would go through great weeks. Man, we would miss nights of sleep. We would wait and wait and wait. And uh, we would do whatever it takes to get out in front of the crowd and be the first one in line so that our child could be an arm's length of the Savior or even be an eye shot of the Creator of the world. Look down to Mark 10, verse 13. Mark 10, 13. The Bible says, And they brought young children to Him, that he should touch them. Look down at verse 16. And he, Jesus, took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. These parents desired to get their children as close to Jesus as possible. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, to those of you here that love the Lord, you cannot get your children into the presence of Jesus. But, you do bring them to this church because you know that the Lord Jesus is lifted up and He's talked about. You bring your children here because you want the Word of God to grab hold of their hearts and you want them to develop their own strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, I say, great job, Mom and Dad. Keep it up. Let's get our children to fall in love with Jesus at a young age. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find the story of Hannah. Hannah could not have babies, and she found herself one uh, trip to Jerusalem there uh, in uh, the uh, temple. And there she was speaking with Eli, and Eli thought she was drunk. She wasn't drunk, she was sorrowful because she could not have a baby. To back up, she was not in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, it was a different location. But uh, there she was in the presence of the high priest Eli and uh, uh, just sorrow of heart, could not have a baby. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Eli said to her, uh, have faith, 
the Lord is going to open your womb and He's going to give you a baby. And sure enough, He did. But Hannah committed to the Lord, if you give me a baby, I will give that young man back to you to live for you and serve you. Now, 1 Samuel 1, verse 26, we find Hannah with little Samuel as a young boy, three or four years old, and she's going to give him back to serve the Lord. Look at verse 26. And she said, O my Lord, she's speaking to the priest here, Eli, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord, for this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. Wow. She gave Samuel to be raised there uh, in the in the temple, in the tabernacle, in order to worship the Lord, in order to serve the Lord all the days of his life. To each mom and dad here this morning that has a desire to see your children raised around the Word of God, in the house of God, and to be around the people of God, and be led uh, by a pastor who is to be a man of God, I greatly commend you. Good job, mom and dad. Let's make sure that we're not only getting our children to church so they can hear the Word of God. Let's make sure we're modeling at home in front of them. Let's make sure our message at home is consistent with the message they're hearing from the Word of God at church. I propose that our world devalues and discounts children and fails to understand their capacity to believe and accomplish great things for the kingdom of heaven. We live in a world that teaches children how to become adults. But when it comes to eternal life, adults must learn how to become again like little children. God offers eternal life. But it is only those who can set aside uh, their skepticism and truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that His sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead, as Levi a few minutes so uh, uh, wonderfully articulated to us, is all that you need to be saved. Once you come to God with the faith of a child and trust in Christ alone, you also can have eternal life. So if you got a bulletin this morning on the back of there, if you obtained a bulletin, you'll notice on the back there is a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let me encourage you to take notes as we go this morning. Let's consider three thoughts as we consider this command of Christ to come as a child. Number one this morning, notice the dismissal of the disciples. The dismissal of the disciples. Look down with me at Mark chapter 10 and look at verse number 13. Mark 10 verse 13. And they, these are the parents, brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Letter A, notice, children are misunderstood. Children are misunderstood. In Proverbs, the Bible labels children as simple ones. Simple ones. This just means that at birth they are like a blank sheet of paper. That's all it means. This is why newborns and toddlers are hyper-observant of the world around them. What do I mean by hyper-observant of the world around them? Babies, toddlers, they put everything in their mouth. Have you ever noticed that? Everything around a baby goes straight to the mouth. Why? They want to experience it with all five senses because they're that blank sheet of paper trying to learn the world around them. I saw a really funny 
commercial, I believe it was a Volkswagen commercial about 15, 20 years ago, and it said, what if adults uh, decided on things the way babies do? And a husband and wife walked out of the dealership to, ch- to test the car, and they both got down and they licked the car handle, and they said, we'll take this one right here, all right? Uh, so that hyper-observing the world, putting everything in their mouth, and by the time, about the age three, a child begins to ask, uh, the child begins asking lots, lots of questions. You ever notice that? Why do children ask so many questions? And it doesn't stop at three. I mean, children who are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, they're still asking lots of questions. And they ought to be asking lots of questions. Why? Because their heart is like a blank piece of paper, and they're trying to fill that up with knowledge. Now, adults, on the other hand, are quite complex. While children have lots of questions, adults have lots of opinions. Anybody in here sitting next to someone who is very opinionated? Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who's very opinionated. Raise your hand if you are very opinionated. Raise your hand if you just lied right now by not raising your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. All of us in here are hyper-opinionated. There's a war going on on the other side of the world right now. By the way, we need to pray that God gives peace in Israel. We need to pray for what's going on over there. And uh, just to be very clear where White Oak Baptist Church stands on this, and this is a sidebar, but I felt the need to get this in here. The Bible is clear that the Israelites are God's chosen people. And if you're asking me to choose between the two sides over there, I stand with Israel. And this church will stand with Israel. And I make no apologies for that. If that bothers you and you don't like that, then I'm going to encourage you to find another place to worship uh, uh, your version of God. Uh, That is what the Bible is very clear on. I stand with Israel, wholeheartedly stand behind Israel. But we live in a day and a time where people have opinions on everything, whether it's uh, uh, food or clothing or TV shows or movies or, uh, let's see, politics, things that matter, things that don't matter. People, adults are very complex. Adults have lots of opinions. Have you ever met someone with tunnel syndrome? Someone with tunnel syndrome. This is someone who, uh, you know what, they're wrong. But you can't ever convince them that they're wrong. Right? They're locked into this tunnel, right? And they go through life like this. And when you try to tell them, well, here's the facts. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, wah, 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 Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. They won't listen to you. Okay? And there's a lot of adults that are that way. And you know what? It's pride that causes us to hold on to an opinion that just isn't true. So here we have adults who are heavy on opinions. Children are heavy on questions. And oftentimes as adults, we forget what it was like to be an innocent, simple-minded child. We fail to understand that in their great simplicity, God can use children to do great things and say Profound things. Turn over to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 in your Bibles there. If you have Matthew 18, Mark, it's just three chapters over there. Matthew 21, and I want you to see verse 12 here. Here we find the story. Jesus has already entered 
into Jerusalem uh, on the back of an ass, the back, back of a donkey. He's come in uh, on that Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the week leading up to his death. And after he enters into the city, he goes into the temple. Tensions are high. The uh, Sadducees have already made a covenant of death that they're going to have him killed. He walks right into the temple and he uh, lets everyone know that this is his father's temple and they are not going to make it into a den of thieves. Look at verse number 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, look at this next part, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they, the Pharisees, were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus quotes to them Psalm chapter 8, Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye not read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Can you see what's going on here? These opinionated adults have tunnel syndrome and have made up their mind that they have rejected Jesus. And these children who are simple, they're able to see Jesus turning over the money changers, running them out of the temple, and then turning and healing a blind man and a lame man. And they begin to praise the Lord and say, Hosanna to the highest, the Son of David. And the Pharisees, they can't see it out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, children are largely misunderstood. Letter B, children are marginalized. Children are marginalized. It is sad. Oh, I hope, I hope you're listening this morning. Because what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm going to say some things in my sermon this morning that are polarizing in nature. And I, I, I'm not normally a polarizing person. But I, listen, when the culture is so wrong on some things, I have no, I'm not the one being polarizing. The culture is causing me to be that way. But let me just say this morning it is sad how that adults give children a pass and allow them to be good at some things and terrible at other things. I hear parents make excuses for their children's bad behavior while that same child is able to sit through a two hour Disney movie and not move a muscle. Parents make excuses for why their kids cannot focus long enough in school to make good grades, while that same child can play a highly intense and complicated video game and dominate it with great skills. Or parents whose child cannot seem to obey the teacher or keep their room clean at home just for the sake of doing right, but that same child can be a master manipulator in their behavior in order to get the things they want out of the school or out of their parents. Listen, if you can manipulate to get your way, if you can sit through a movie, if you can quote movie lines, if you can play a video game, then you can also keep your room clean, and you can also make good grades in school, and you can also memorize facts for a history or science test. You can also learn concepts when it comes to math and English. Uh, you can obey. You can sit still. If you can sit through a Disney movie, you can sit through a church service. Amen. 
It's not a matter of can they. It's a matter of moms and dads who marginalize their children and make excuses for them. Let us not forget that children, children have accomplished some amazing things. It was a teenage boy named David who killed the mighty Goliath. That was no accident. David began learning how to kill Goliath or began to obtain the skills on how to kill a giant when he was just a small boy. And here he is, a teenager, slaying a giant. Uh, please understand, Goliath did not, or David did not wake up when he was 16 years old and say, I'm just going to walk into a valley with a giant and throw a rock in the air and just hope that it hits his head and that I can win. No, no, no. David was a skilled, a skilled warrior. He had already killed a lion and a bear with his own hands. David walked into that valley. David was a teenager, but David had began preparing for that moment uh, by protecting sheep from the time he was a little boy. How about uh, the little maid in uh, little Hebrew handmaid in 2 Corinthians 5 that through her discernment and, uh, discernment and courage, she was able to save the life of Naaman through counsel and advice. It was a young teenage boy named Daniel who stood up to the king and refused to eat foods that were in violation to his own belief. And it went on to become one of the council of King Nebuchadnezzar and considered to be ten times more excellent than all of the other counselors in the kingdom as just a teenage boy. It was a little boy, a little lad who had enough faith to give his five loaves and two fishes to Jesus so that 5,000 men and women could be fed. It was a little girl named Miriam who had the courage to watch over the bassinet that carried her baby brother named Moses and then approached Pharaoh's daughter about her own mother nursing the newly adopted palace child. It was a little boy named Josiah who at only eight years old became the king over Judah and then led them to tear down the idols and return to worship their one true God. Listen folks, children are capable of some great things. It was just World War II where children as young as 17 and 18 years old and even some as young as 16 who lied about their age went over and won us a two-front war in order to secure our freedom as a country. They beat both the Japanese and they beat the Germans. And it was teenagers who won that war largely for us to have our right to sit here today. And today we have 30-year-olds who sit in mom's basement and play video games and eat chicken nuggets because mom and dad coddled them too much when they were little and marginalized them. Children are capable of far more than most parents understand or, or believe. Listen to me, parents with teenagers. And I speak as a parent of two teenagers. Instead of allowing... Your teenagers to go through some kind of sinful rebellious stage and making excuses for them. Uh, why don't you push your teenager to become something great for the Lord? I imagine the teenagers of this church doing something great for God. And instead of going through a time of rebellion against the Lord and mom and dad and the rules, instead they wholeheartedly give their heart to the Lord and they buy into the understanding that they too can lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And like an army, our teenagers gather here every week and go out in the community and tell the world that Jesus saves. I see our teenagers leading dozens and scores and hundreds of people to Christ in the years to come. Let's not marginalize our kids, folks. They're far more capable than you and I want to give them credit for. The disciples had children come to the Lord 
and they dismissed the children. They said, oh, Jesus doesn't have time for them. He's busy with other things. The dismissal of the disciples. Number two, we see the displeasure of the Master. The displeasure of the Master. Look down at Mark chapter 10 and look at verse number 14. Mark 10 and verse number 14 in your Bibles. It says, but when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto Me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus said to the disciples, Hey, don't you dismiss those little kids. Those children matter much to Me. Bring them to Me. Don't push them away. Bring them to Me. Take your Bible over to Mark chapter number 9. You're in chapter 10, just one chapter there. Look down at verse number 33. Mark 9 Verse 33, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, verse 33 of Mark 9, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? Now, what was it the disciples were disputing, disputing among the way? I'll tell you exactly what it was. You can go back and read for yourself. They were arguing which one of them was the greatest among them. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. No, I'm greater than you. This sounds like five-year-olds, Right? arguing and bickering about who's the best. And this is exactly what was going on, and Jesus knew it. And so He asked them, but in their embarrassment, they didn't want to answer. Look at 34. But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And He sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all. And if any man desire uh, to be, uh, excuse me, and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, so he's holding this child in his lap, got him wrapped up around the chest, he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So Jesus tells these disciples who are bickering about which one's the best, He says, bring me a child. He wraps that child up in His arms and He says, you want to be the greatest? Become like one of these children. I would just say to these disciples that were arguing with each other about which one of them was the greatest, and then just a few minutes later dismissing the children uh, that desire to see Jesus, let's not forget that before Jesus chose you, the world had flat out rejected you also. Here Jesus is walking around his uh, his uh, his headquarters, if you will, the city the city of origin, or rather his uh, his his ministry city of Capernaum, and there you see Matthew. Matthew is a tax tax collector, and tax collectors were hated by the other Jews. A tax collector would have been a Jew, but would have been a sellout working for uh, the Romans to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And listen, uh, I know there's probably some corruption in our IRS today. I don't question that. Where there's money, there's just Generally corruption, but it was nothing like what was going on back then. Let's say here that um, uh, I use Scott a lot, so I'm going to use somebody else because I, I don't want to embarrass Oscar. Okay, let's say Oscar here owed the IRS a hundred dollars, and let's say that I worked uh, for he owed the Roman government rather a hundred dollars, and and I worked for the Roman government as a Jewish tax collector. I'd come to him and say that'll be three hundred dollars, please. And you know what? He by Roman force has to give me all three hundred dollars. You say, well, what's going to happen to the other $200? It's going to go in the pocket of the tax collector. 
Can you see why the Jews did not like the Jewish tax collectors? They were sellouts that were building their own wealth. And Jesus comes along and He looks at Matthew, who's hated by his peers, and He says, I want you to follow Me. Wow. Well, how about Andrew and Peter and James and John? They were fishermen. They were, if you will, blue-collared employees. And uh, anybody could be a fisherman. You didn't need to go to school to be a fisherman. You could learn that from the time you were youth. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John, two of the fishermen, are standing before the religious council, uh, the Bible says that they observed them to be ignorant and unlearned men. Ignorant and unlearned men. So who did Jesus choose? He chose ignorant and unlearned men. He chose those who were rejects of society, and these group of men are going to reject a child. You may be here this morning and think that you are at best average, and that you don't have much to offer the world or the Lord. You may feel that you are lowly and insignificant in the broader scope of the world. There may even be here someone here today that thinks if they fell off the edge of the earth, no one would miss them or notice. You may wonder what impact your life even has. And I want to say to those that feel that way today, that you are in the wheelhouse of exactly who God uses to do the greatest things on planet earth. He uses the weak to confound the mighty. He uses the simple-minded to confound the wise. And God wants to use you to do something great for Him. This is why God values children so much. Because they are the weak and the simple. And He can use them to do great things. The crowd Christ desires. Let her be the condemnation Christ shares. I believe that my preaching ought to match the intensity of the passage. And so I'm going to say some very strong things over the next few minutes. And I, I don't do this out of anger. I do this with great intentionality. I'm going to say some things some people in here probably aren't going to like. And my intent is not to offend anyone. It's to preach the truth the way Jesus did. Look at Mark 9. Look at verse 42. So Jesus is sitting there with a child wrapped up in His arms. This precious child who has a strong faith. He tells the disciples, you all need to become like this child if you want to be great. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in Me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Better that a millstone were hanged about his neck. If you do what? Notice carefully what it says. Offend the faith of a child. Now, this verse is commonly used to talk about people who um, abuse, sexually abuse or exploit children. And certainly this verse is talking about that. Sexually abusing a child is indeed harming the faith of a child. Do you understand that we have more sex trafficking going on in the world today than ever in our history. And that sex trafficking usually involves 
children. I stayed in a hotel with my wife in the Bronx a few weeks back as I was preparing to fly out to Honduras. I had an early morning flight, so we went down and stayed in a hotel. And I noticed that on the door there was a hotline 1-800 number for children who were being trafficked to be able to call. And I'm glad that number is there, but isn't it sad that that has to be there? That's the world we've come into. I'll probably say more political things today in my sermon than I will say in a whole year of preaching combined. I don't like to preach politics in the pulpit, but I do like to preach the Bible. Let me say this this, uh, this, this morning, that our open border is a big problem in our country. Because the sex trafficking of children that goes on across that border, it absolutely breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. You say, well, pastor, are you compassionate toward the people who live in poverty and conditions of oppression that make their way into this country because they have uh, nothing, they live in squalor? I have been to those countries and I have seen the squalor firsthand. I have gone down to the countries and I have seen it with my own two eyes. Yes, my heart breaks for anybody that comes into this country who cannot uh, make it in their own country because the economy is so poor. And, and my heart breaks for them and hurts for them. We have a ministry here in our church where we have people who show up and go to our Spanish ministry. I don't know which ones are legal or not. We don't ask. But if I had to guess, I'd say there's a handful of people in our Spanish ministry that are here illegally and we're here to help them and love them any way we can. But I am not okay with cartel members bringing children across our borders for the use of sexual abuse. And when our border is open, children are being hurt and abused. And somebody needs to stand up and do something about it. A secure border protects little kids from being trafficked and abused. And that breaks my heart. Those who are involved in that on any level, the Bible says it's better that a millstone be tied around their neck and then be cast in the depths of the sea. There's nothing greater you can do than harm the sexuality and violate the sexuality of a child, especially one who's prepubescent. But regardless of whether they are or not, to take a child and violate them and rape them over and over and over again and use that avenue to make money, uh, there is a special place in hell for people like that. What is the heart of Jesus getting at here in this verse? Look with me at Mark 9.42 again. Because this verse is not necessarily talking only about sexually abusing children. Look at what it says. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better that a millstone were hanged around their neck. Offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Do you know... That a child's faith is natural. Why is that? I want you to think about this for a moment. Children naturally trust adults. They have to. Down here on the second row, we have Lizetta Vila holding her little girl, Naomi. What a beautiful young lady. She's precious. You know what? If uh, uh, Lizette, and she'd never do this, but if Lizette were to lay Naomi down and leave her, Naomi wouldn't be able to survive. Naomi is completely dependent on her mother to take care of her. You know, children have to have faith to survive. 
And it is natural for a child to put their faith in God because faith comes natural to someone who's totally dependent. But as we get older, we become less dependent and we become more independent and our need to trust anyone other than ourselves, it lessens and lessens and lessens. During that time where a child's faith is strong, it naturally can be placed in Christ for salvation. And when adults maniacally come along and hurt that faith or mislead that faith away from Christ, they are setting that child up to be condemned to hell. Jesus desires, listen clearly, Jesus desires for all children to be saved. Those who intentionally hurt the faith of a child as it would pertain to Christ, they deserve to be cast into the depths of the sea. Is this plotted attempt to hurt the faith of a child going on in our world today? How about in our country and culture? Clearly it is. Let me speak about children's programming. You ever notice the word television? They're going to tell you the vision they want you to have. How about the word programming? They're trying to reprogram your mind. How about the word channel? Listen, they don't even hide it in the terms. They're trying to channel what they want you to believe right into your skull. And we sit there and go, uh. How about our children who are an open page? You know, they understand that a child is a blank page. And you know what they want to do? They want to write their agenda and doctrine on the page of your child's heart. And they're busy doing it. There is an organization named GLAD. It is an acrostic. G-L-A-D. What I'm about to say, if you don't believe me, look it up for yourself. GLAD uh, releases a score for production companies, movie TV companies, as it pertains to how much LGBTQ content they include in their releases each year. Each year, they release a score for each company. Their goal is to promote LGBT agenda in production of movies and TV shows. So, the higher your score, the better. Two companies in 2022 tied for the best marks, according to GLAD. Do you know what those companies were? Netflix was one of them. Disney was the other. Disney. That's not my opinion. That's GLAD's opinion. You don't believe me? You can look it up for yourself. Now, this may not be popular, but I'm just going to say it because I've already said a lot of unpopular things today. Disney executives who taint our children by confusing their developing minds and hearts deserve to be cast into the depths of the sea with a millstone tied around their necks. Those are not my words. They're Christ's words. Anyone who confuses a child about their gender, there's something deeply wrong with them. Shame on the Christians who help fund this nonsense. Disney does not deserve one more dime of Christian money to help fund their indoctrination campaign. Especially while they're being so open about it. They're being open about it. I traveled to Chicago in March to go to a funeral. I stayed at my brother's house and I sat on the couch with my little niece and she watched a, a, a show about, about buses and these buses can talk and they roll around. It's this cute little show. They talk to bulldozers and they talk to cranes and I don't know, remember the name of the show. And, and all of it, I'm sitting there watching two, three episodes with her and, and just holding her in my lap and playing with her. All of a sudden in one of the episodes, this bus had a rainbow wrapped around its head. You think there isn't an agenda here, folks? 
You think they're not trying to indoctrinate our children when they're little and confuse them? These people, I told my, my sister-in-law, she immediately turned it off and hasn't let her watch it since. Christians have to take a stand. Our public school system has stripped away the Bible in prayer. will not allow children to hear the truth about why, uh, who God is and the morality that He expects each of us to live by. Did you know it is a federal crime to post the Ten Commandments in a public school? A federal crime. What Gabriel stood up here and said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How about this one? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Why is it a crime to post, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It is a crime to post these in a, in a, in a public school. Why? We're hurting the faith of a child. By the time our children get to middle school and beyond... They are taught the false belief system that we all came about as some accident in space and they want you to believe that you're nothing more than a descendant of a monkey so that you can go out and act like one. YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, and all platforms where evil people are all uh, platforms where evil people take advantage and hurt the faith of a child. My former landlord has a TV show where they change her from a 40-year-old woman into a 13-year-old girl on social media. And you know what they do? They track track, uh, uh, child predators who slip into her DMs and begin sexting with a 13-year-old. You can look it up. There's a YouTube video that she made. It's got some explicit content in it. I'm not telling... Just just warning, okay? But it'll open your eyes to what goes on out there. Moms and dads, you've got to be careful about what you let your kids see on the phone. It used to be more dangerous to let your kid walk down the road, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're better off letting your child walk from here to Walmart and Stratford than you are to have unbridled access to the Internet. Here they are on YouTube. Do you know the people that make YouTube content? They have an agenda for your child. Do you know what they're putting on YouTube? Do you know what your child's watching? Do you know that Snapchat, you can send a picture, and the whole purpose of Snapchat is that that picture disappears a few seconds later, never to be seen again. Now, I know that that, there's a lot of you in here that have a Snapchat account, but I just want to ask a question. Why do you need to send a picture that disappears five seconds later? You know what Snapchat was invented for? It was invented for sexting. That's what it was invented for. Christians have no place on Snapchat. Now I know that that may not set well with everybody. But I'm just preaching today that we need to protect our children from predators. The Lord Jesus, He loved children so deeply that those who hurt the faith of a child... He said they are an enemy of the Savior, and they should be cast into the depths of the sea. Pastor Lejeune gets fired up when he preaches about two groups of people. Pharisees and people who hurt children. Because those are the two groups of people that Jesus condemned the strongest. Number one, the dismissal of the disciples. Number two, the displeasure of the Master. Number three, the doorway of salvation. The doorway of salvation. I speak to you as a dad today. 
My son's sitting right over here, 14 years old. My daughter was here a moment ago. I don't know where she got off to. She's 12 years old. Hopefully she's not out breaking into your cars. Amen? <laughs> Gotta watch those PKs. No, both of them are great children. They, they, listen, but you know what me and, me and my wife are doing? We're fighting the battle to keep them pure. We are. And you know what? It's a daily battle. We've installed cameras in our home that can see all television screens at all times through our phone. And we check them regularly. Our kids don't have smartphones. The tablets that we have are family tablets and uh, uh, screen grabs are taken by software all the time monitoring what they're looking at. Because I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to give an account on how I raise my kids right with my wife. And it's my duty to get them from birth to adulthood with their heart intact to love God and their faith strong. And I take that duty serious. We need a church full of parents who will do the same. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Here's why I do that. Oh, I'm speaking to you passionately from my heart this morning. This young man over here, he is, does not belong to me. Uh, he can tell you, I have gone and sat on his bed many times in his life as he's getting ready to go to sleep. And I have told him, I've said, son, and I've done this with my daughter, son, you do not belong to me, you belong to the Lord. And one day I'm going to give you to him and you're going to live for him for all your days. And you know what? With that thought in mind, I don't want to raise you for my agenda. I want to raise you for heaven's agenda. Oh, we need mom and dads who will work and think with that same philosophy in mind. The doorway of salvation. Jesus said that you must enter into heaven like a child. Look with me at Mark chapter 10 and look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Look at verse 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Letter A, quickly notice the skepticism of adults. I won't take the time to read the verses, but in Mark chapter 6, we find uh, where Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth. He tried to do many mighty works, but he couldn't because of their skepticism or their unbelief. Jesus had grown up with these people. This was his hometown. He came back to, to tell them who He was, the promised Messiah. And what did they do? They drug Him out to the edge of town and tried to throw Him off a cliff. Now, I meet many adults and try to convince them of the simplicity of salvation. You listening this morning? Salvation is simple. It's simple. How simple is it? It's so simple that I got saved when I was four years old. You say, can a four-year-old really get saved? I'm still here, aren't I? Here I am. I got saved at four. I'm getting ready to turn 40. And I'm still walking with the Lord and loving God. And I look back at that time where I was four years old, where I took my faith that had been protected by my parents, and I gave that to the Lord. It's so simple. It's so simple. What is this Gospel message? Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Because in our sin, we're condemned to hell. Jesus died on the cross and suffered that hell for us. He died in our place. And when we turn to Him by the faith of a child and believe in Him, we can be saved. However, children or adults are skeptical. Here's some phrases that maybe you have said. 
Nothing in life is actually free. You ever said that? Nothing in life. I've said that. And you know what? Humanly speaking, that's true. Nothing in life is actually free. Or at least it feels that way. But salvation is 100% free. It's free. Here's another phrase adults like to say. If it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be... Yeah. Right? Hey, be careful with those uh, spam messages you get in your uh, text messages, right? You've just won Publisher's Clearinghouse. Click the link to claim your money. Right? If it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be... Do you know what is true? That salvation is a free gift paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Letter B. Letter B. The false security of most. The false security of most. Look at Mark chapter 10 with me. For many people, they cannot find it in their heart to believe in Christ alone for salvation because they are too busy depending on themselves. They've become so independent. They have a hard time humbly depending on Jesus alone to be their Savior. Look at Mark 10, look at verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto His disciples, How hardly shall, uh, shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at His words. But Jesus answereth again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Your riches may buy you a comfortable life on this side of eternity. But your riches cannot buy you even a glimpse into heaven. Those who depend on hard work, intellect, money-making skills, uh, uh, big bank accounts, retirement funds, or personal wit will find that after this life, they will not be granted eternal life, but rather condemnation in hell. Listen, church. Listen, those in attendance. Listen, those watching online. These riches that you have on this earth... Cannot, they may obtain uh, you great things here on this earth. They cannot buy you life eternal. So then how do we get saved? Let her see. We see the simplicity of childlike faith. The simplicity of childlike faith. Let's go back to where we began. Mark ten fifteen. Jesus says here, Verily I say unto you, Look at carefully what it says. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And let me read for you Matthew 18.3. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are very trusting. If I had a three-year-old, in the room. I don't. I'm looking around. Is there any, anybody with a three-year-old in the room? Okay, they're all in class. If I had a three-year-old and I set them right here, or maybe even I put them up here, or maybe even I put them on top of the pulpit, and I say, jump! 
You know what that three-year-old does? He gets a big smile on his face. Right? And he throws himself off into my arms and I catch him and he laughs and then he wants to do it again. How many of you, if I put you up there and told you to jump, you'd be as excited as that three-year-old? You're probably not going to do it, are you? (laughs) Me and Lou would end up in the hospital, wouldn't we, Lou? Um, You know what? Jesus says to get to heaven, you've got to be like that three-year-old. Here I am. I died on the cross for your sins. Jump. Believe in me. And I'll save you. We spend 20 years teaching children how to become adults. Listen to me. To get to heaven, you must go from being an adult to learning how to be like a child when it comes to your faith. A lot of people stand there, I'm not going to jump. Nope, nope, I'm dependent on myself. Nope, nope, I'm not going to trust the Lord. Or I'll trust the Lord and myself. Oh no. Jesus said, believe to be saved. Believe to be saved. You must throw yourself in the arms of Jesus by faith and allow Him to save you. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm so thankful for each one of you that have come today. Maybe for those of you here today that are saved or unsaved alike, your faith decision, or rather your decision today is to be more vigilant over what your children are doing and to push them to be soldiers for the Lord. But if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that right now. I want to encourage you to take that leap of faith into the arms of Jesus so He can save you. You see, the day I asked Jesus to save me, in essence, I, asked, I, I prayed four thoughts. The first thought is I told the Lord that I knew I was a sinner. And then I admitted that my sin had condemned me to hell. The third thought I expressed in prayer was an understanding that Jesus had died on the cross for my sin. And that fourth thing I prayed was I asked Jesus to save me by my faith. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'd like to help you to take that leap of faith, that childlike leap of faith into the arms of Jesus so He can save you. Understanding you're set aside, setting aside your good works or religion or any other idea and putting your faith in Christ alone. If you're ready to do that, under your breath, would you just pray this prayer silently under your breath? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I put my faith in you alone. Save my soul. Give me the gift of eternal life. And take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if for the first time you prayed that prayer from your heart, and you understood what you did, you put your childlike faith in Christ, I'd like to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand where you are? Is there one? I see one hand. Is there someone else? I gave my heart to Christ. I see another. Is there someone else? I put my faith and trust in Christ alone to save me. If you raised your hand a moment ago, I rejoice with you.